1: What is going on, everyone at home? I am, I am joined by Thomas Christian. Uh, Thomas has his orange Warriors jersey from the We Believe era slash rookie yes, year of sir. Steph Curry, um, because if you cannot tell, this is the post-game show, and we were talking about Golden State's fourth championship in eight They just concluded the game. I believe it's official Steph Curry's Finals MVP. I I guess I I assumed as much and didn't actually double-check
0: I didn't check either, but that'd be (laughs) worth checking. There's a little Um, narrative going around about how Andrew Wiggins should be taking it, and that should be squashed immediately. (laughs) Just
1: saying. I, I will say, anyway, that's Thomas, I'm Parker, and we're here with the Sports Talk all about the NBA Finals that just concluded. And my first question, Thomas, is... At what point, because we talked about some different scary points of the game. As a fan, at what point were you like, we just won our fourth title?
0: You know, you it wasn't me? until about three minutes, 30 seconds left. That it was a, like one more. I can hear you. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't until about three minutes, 30 seconds left um, in the fourth quarter. There was that that, that ring finger tapping three-pointer that went, it's like, I think, 72-50, I mean, I was going ballistic. I think everyone else was going ballistic in the sports bar that I was just came from. But the thing is, is that, you know, I, I was kind of looking at the, at the clock as well. I was like, hey, it's only eight minutes in the third quarter. Like, we probably shouldn't be, you know, talking about it right now. And, you know, sure enough, that actually that ring on the finger three point that uh, Stephen Curry hit that actually sparked a Boston run. I think it was ended up making it like 74-64. So that was really terrifying 12-2 run. Uh, right there to uh, you know and, and after that point I was actually quite scared that this was going to happen in a game seven situation so uh, I, you know I'm glad it did not but even when it was it was like an eight point game in, in midway through the fourth quarter this was not um, I mean the Celtics made it really close in the first half or in the second half so I have to give them credit for that but th- th- this was one of those games where you, you really had to knuckle bite it out until the end I mean obviously you know the visual of you know Stephen Curry. We can talk about the legacy of Stephen Curry later, but just the visual of him crying—I don't think he's, he's actually cried in any of his other championships. So seeing that, and then seeing you know everyone else coming around to celebrate was was also obviously an awesome sight. But it wasn't—I don't even think Curry and, and and his other teammates were were counting this as a championship number four until that final, buzz, final buzzer sounded, just because of how the Celtics sort of rallied towards the end.
1: Well, and. The Celtics rallied. I think it, we we just said it got as close as eight. I think I thought nine, but I think it was eight, right? Um, I I have to be honest. I I felt like there was like a lack of gas. Like I don't. I didn't feel like they quite. I feel like they had another step to go that they never quite did. That you know, in the game, obviously in Game One, they had the fourth quarter where they hit that gas in their win in Game Three it was a fourth quarter as well. And, and the Steph, one of the games was a game Steph Curry game four, where they had the Celtics actually had the big third quarter, or maybe it was game five. This was the big third quarter. They've, they've had these moments where they push it over and that moment never happened tonight. Um, and, and I, I don't know when my brother and I were texting and said it was over, but I actually think we probably thought it was over earlier than you did just because, um, you know, I don't know if you know this, Jason Tatum appeared to not be playing. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like wh- He's on a milk carton somewhere. Where is Jason Tatum? What happened there? Now, you're a Warriors fan. They have a good defense, but like, what was going on there?
0: Well, I will say, okay, that, that first quarter, I actually put this in my notes. The first quarter when they when they were up big, obviously the Warriors ended up coming back and won the quarter 27-22 at the end of it. But uh, probably like that the first six minutes, I put in my notes, I was like, Tatum and Brown. This is the first time I've seen both of them clicking at the same time. So that was like, okay, Tatum, he, you know, he starting off very well, but he obviously ended six of 18, one for four from three-point range. Um, he's had a few bloopers from three-point range in the series. He had a few good ones too, but um, just, you know, Jalen Brown can get you those transition buckets. He, can, he, can, he had a great shooting night that doesn't always happen. Um, so that was working in the Celtics' favor. But when it comes down to crunch time, you're not looking for Jalen Brown to do an ISO score, right? He, he doesn't have the handle for something like that. So it, it does all fall on Tatum's shoulders at the end of the day. And he was not able to deliver. He was not able to deliver in game five either. Um, yeah, he This has kind of been a thing for him in this finals. I kind of wonder if this is how he's going to be in the finals. It, it, he just has not necessarily – you know, been able to shine the brightest on the biggest stage when, when all of the lights are pointed at him. You know, I'm not saying that that's something that, you know, is fair to expect of everybody, but if we're trying to think of this guy uh, as, you know, wearing a purple 24 armband and channeling the kobe and, and the Mamba mentality, you got to show up a little bit better in the fourth quarter when you want to, you know, when you're putting the money on the table, you got to have something to, to to show for it. And that that here, you know, it kind of makes all of that previous posturing. It it looks bad. It looks bad on Tatum's part.
1: Well, and what's funny is, um, I don't mean to come off as a Kobe Bryant hater. I I probably have worn that label at various points, but I am very quick to point out, like, you know, there were some of those games that Kobe and them won, but he shot poorly. (laughs) Um, I think the difference to me tonight was that Tatum just didn't shoot some. (laughs) You know, like, I, I think that was, Interesting enough, um, whereas like Kobe's going to go up firing, uh, Tatum just just didn't even shoot. Uh, I, I really think his his absence was kind of the part that didn't get them over that hump that I that I was talking about on Boston side of things. I, I mentioned in prepod that I still am trying to figure out what they're, in any point in the series. Obviously, in the first game they got hot from three in the fourth. But what was their offensive strategy? Like, what were they trying to attack? They they had Steph Curry on Al Horford, and they wouldn't go to the block with it. Um, And then they they threw the ball away trying to go to the block with it. And then they finally did it once, and everyone went back to it. Um, They, you know, I guess would run like some like switching type action to try and get a new defender on Tatum. But then he'd pull up from 15 feet in this. Like he can pull up from 15 feet on Draymond Green for all I care. That's just a tough shot. I I just don't. I don't know that I understand it. And I feel like they take a lot of bad shots or took a lot of bad sh- shots in the series. And I don't mean to diminish Golden State's defense. They had a top whatever ranked defense throughout the season. It just felt more like bad offense to me. Do you feel like there was something going on that I'm missing on their offense? What were they trying to do?
0: Well, there, th- this has always been kind of the thing in just in, in terms of the Warriors or, or attacking their defense. Um, because you see it a lot with Kavon Looney. Um, as soon as a switch comes on to Kavon Looney, oftentimes other offenses just think, "Oh, attack!" Right? And you saw that tonight. There were a few uh, times where Jason Tatum had the ball. Kavon Looney gets the switch, and he thinks, "Oh, I can take this guy." And I don't know. I, that must be an Ime Udoka thing where he keeps saying, "Like attack, Kavon Looney, attack, Kavon Looney." But when Kavon Looney's on the perimeter, he's no scrub, and, and no, that yeah. sort of thing has to be recognized at some point. The Mavs had a lot of trouble with him as well. Um, just after that, it, it, I would say that the bigger part of, uh, you know, the, the failures, um, uh, from Jason Tatum's perspective is the jump shot, right? As soon as that jump shot's not falling, you could really physically see him start to tighten up on the floor. And when you tighten up, maybe you can get a three pointer or a jump shot off playing tight but you can't drive to the rim. You have to be comfortable. You have to be relaxed. You have to understand where your options are and make the reads while driving, right? That's very challenging things to do. That's superstar level stuff. And um, you know, if you're tight, if you're, if you're scared of the moment, uh, like Jason Tatum appeared to be, you're not going to be able to deliver uh, in those sorts of uh, moments. It may be like uh, this is not some sort of regular season game. where you are gonna be able to make those reads? It's just a, different environment. That's, that's just going to be how they're going to have to approach it. I think it, it, uh, there were just a lot of times in this whole series, but in this game as well, where the Celtics just looked very young. And I, I felt like that was kind of some of the difference here in this finals as well.
1: Yeah. And frankly, um, in looking at the Celtics, we they lost by, what was the final score? 15 or something. It felt like more than the 10. Um, the, the, to not belabor them too much on that. We've done a post game every game, but this was the final game of the season. And looking forward, I think the positive, the optimist person would like you're saying, be like, you know what? Brown's 25 Tatum's 24. This happens to guys at that age. They, they are turnover prone as perimeter scores at that age. We'll be fine we got those two guys in the books for a long time. But when I look at the East, I don't know that I, I can actually feel that way. You've got Milwaukee and Giannis. Giannis is not much older than those guys. Uh, we Trae Young and Atlanta, right? They just went to the Eastern Conference Finals a year ago. Trae Young is younger than these guys. No pun intended. Miami seems to just never go away. Um, you know, at some point, you got to think, does Joel Embiid ever, like, get Philly over the hump or get out of Philly and go somewhere else? Like, Like, the East is not so strong that you're going to like be like, we have a bunch of chances at this if you're Boston. Am I wrong there to think that like Boston might have, I don't know how many chances this duo has at a title and m- Boston might just let one slip away?
0: My sort of overall philosophy for wh- how, how I read a championship window, um, and I'm, I mean, I'm going to use the Warriors here, I, I, I would say the Spurs kind of follow the same model where it's always going to go down to one player. If you have one superstar on your team, like the Bucks have Giannis, like the Spurs had Tim Duncan, like the Warriors have Curry. You're always going to have that puncher's chance and and that sort of tentpole guy to you know be able to get back. Um, when I look at the Eastern Conference, I see Tatum and I see uh, the Bucs and I see the Nets as guys as as teams that have legitimate tentpole players um, that could carry a championship team, be a number one player in a championship team. Um, So that's where I would actually feel a little bit more comfortable if I was Boston, just knowing that you've already beaten Milwaukee. But that's going to be, I think, a a theme throughout Tatum and probably Giannis' career as well. It's just those Giannis-Tatum clashes in either on the Eastern Conference finals or the second round. Um, That's going to be the hump that you get over. Whether or not Joel Embiid finds another partner, I would actually be skeptical just simply because I know the contract situation and I know that, you know, uh, currently they're bogged down in in a lot of contracts and just James Harden nonsense. And I I just have my doubts that he'll have a team around him before he's 30. That's just – I'm sorry. I I love Joel. Yeah.
1: No, I think the more optimistic thing for Joel individually would be it might not be in Philadelphia. And we've seen a league where that kind of stuff does happen. But I think you're right. The Philadelphia's books feel a little cooked. I I just mean that he is that kind of player. Um, No, I I just – I guess if you're thinking Tatum can be one of those, you're called tentpole players. Like, I, I guess maybe that's fair. I I just worry that we just saw this big glaring, he doesn't have the handle to do it from the perimeter in the same kind of way. Um, you know, we'll talk about the Warriors and Steph Curry and give them their credit in a second. Bluntly, through three games of the 2015 NBA Finals, people were kind of saying the same thing about Steph Curry. Steph Curry actually had a great Game 5 in that series Um, I think people kind of forget about that one because he doesn't get finals MVP, but he does play pretty well by the end of the series. The early part of the series, I think is what had people surprised. Um, Jason Tatum had that for his whole final series this year. And that is a little different. The deal was Steph Curry kept going back. The Warriors were good enough to keep going back. Um, And that, that just, that feels different to me. Um, Any other last thoughts on the Celtics um, in transitioning?
0: I just want to go back to that because, Um, You know, Tatum is a different kind of superstar from what we've had in years previous, Um, even just in in championship winning teams, right? So if you think back just the past five years of 10-pole players, um, you go Giannis, LeBron, Kawhi, Curry, Kevin Durant, however you want to do that. And um, all of these players are not AAU products. They're not... um, sort of the new young generation of players. Tatum is kind of the first guy to kind of break out. Even I don't really put Giannis in that group either because he's not an AAU player, right? He came from uh, international. So just seeing sort of, this is the product, this is the development system. I have I kind of have Tatum as the marquee player of our development system in the current day in, in, in the USA, right? In terms of USA basketball. Um, so the, I don't know if I want to issue an indictment on USA basketball development in the current times, but this was sort of the first look we got to see at this culture of modern day quote unquote soft players that, you know, old heads do like to talk about us Gen Zers as, um, you know, being softer, being more friendly with opponents and things like that. Very much of that. A lot of that is very much on brand with Jason Tatum and he has already on record in, in pressers talking about how he doesn't feel like he has that superstar confidence all of the time. You know, he talked about how he was unsure of himself, showed vulnerability, which, you know, to my point of view, and I'm sure you as well, Parker, I just, I see that as being human, right? Being vulnerable, but to an old head and especially to your opponent, if you're playing for an NBA finals, you're going to see that as weakness and try to exploit it. Uh, And that's something that you know, maybe, maybe if he had just had that a little bit more of that, you know, quote mama mentality that we we keep going back to, maybe <laughs> the, this, these things would go a little bit differently.
1: Yeah, I think it's completely human. I think the the deal is just we expect these sports heroes and the immortals uh, like we expect them to be a little superhuman right and, and i think that that is completely a human thing to understand
0: about what they expect are. that because that was the history right we, we've right. seen a lot of immortal superhuman players i mean i know you're a kobe hater but kobe would be a great example <laughs> or michael jordan right uh but yeah, those are the players that win the finals right a lot of the players that they show weakness they don't they don't have a lot of rings so that, that's sort of one of the things where no you know, and it it's the
1: you know it's the thing that separates a, a, a Draymond Green from a Charles Barkley. You know, like they're both supremely talented and a little undersized to do the things they do, but they do crazy, impossible things. But Barkley was a little bit more emotional. Whereas like, it seemed to fuel Draymond in a weird, different way. I, I would also point out their teammates are a little different, but you know, like <laughs> that, that's not for this this second. Um, I will say though Draymond Green, I think the reason he's on the tip of my tongue is in scrolling Twitter to make sure we're not missing anything too crazy in the post game because we are recording right after the game. If you're watching this on YouTube after the fact, um, <laughs> apparently in the Golden State locker room they're chanting "Bleep you, Draymond!" in the golden, <laughs> like, like <laughs> obviously, like like it just because like they're having fun with it. But I thought that was a great. Touch because they're in Boston, they're chanting. Bleep. Anyway, I thought that was really funny. Um, the Celtics, the, 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 the thought I'll wrap them up with is that, like, I don't buy the need a true point guard aspect because I still think most of the time you're going to want the ball in Tatum or Brown's hands. Um, and a true point guard that doesn't take away those touches is, you know, he's not holding the ball for very long. He's coming down, they're reading a screen, he's going to pass the ball to whomever. I, but they've got. Got to, got to be a team that values the basketball more. They had over 20 turnovers again tonight. Um, and it was very simple statistically. I don't know what the final playoff count was, but going to the finals, they were undefeated when they had less than 15 turnovers. Like just, just hold on to basketball. <laughs> like I, I just, I, I've never seen a team with that much talent. I think Dan Orlovsky tweeted out in any sport, a team with that much talent value the ball they're playing with that little, like football, basketball, baseball, whatever, right? Um, and they've got to find a way to fix that. And long term, you know, I don't know how you address that, who you bring in, what you do, or if you just hope you mature out of it. But, um, speaking of maturing and aging somewhat more like a fine wine, uh, we need to talk about what the Warriors did. So I want to start a little bit with tonight's game and then we can look at bigger pictures. Um, but tonight's game, you had to be worried in the first quarter when they open up down 12 to two or whatever it was, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, okay. I, I, I kind of felt like it was going to start out that way. Game six uh, – or, sorry, game five. or sorry, they, They've started Otto Porter Jr. over Kevon Looney for games four, five, and six. It didn't work in game four, but they were able to make it up. In game five, it worked. The only reason it worked is because they decided to just – instead of using their extra space to actually shoot threes, right, that extra three-point shooting, they decided to use the extra spacing on the floor to attack. So their first – Seven baskets for the Golden State in that game were was 14, 14 straight points in the paint, basically. Um, so that was that's when you start with that lineup with Otto Porter Jr. That's how you have to use it. Um, but but so when I saw in Game Six Otto Porter Jr. was in the starting lineup again, I said, okay, uh, I would like to see them attack the basket. And right out the gate, they did not do that. They started shooting three pointers, which is like, hey, you're the Warriors. That's your thing. Go ahead. But when you have this lineup, it works in a specific way that you're not, you're taking advantage of that. So you're going to go down big. And then lo and behold, Kevon Looney checks into the game, right? And, and Otto Porter Jr. only played 13 minutes. Kevon Looney played 22. That this is just kind of how Kerr, I, I don't know if he had to be reminded that Kevon Looney is really good or that he just, you know, this was sort of his next like thing that he knew he was going to do if that first starting lineup didn't work. But I, I, I don't know. I, I immediately was like, o page "OPJ, they're not attacking the 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 rim." So of course, Kevon Lund is going to be the first guy off the bench. There's there's really no other way to combat that because you're playing against Al Horford and Rob Williams in the paint. So the the Celtics are having a really you know great paint defense. If you don't have at least one guy to sort of make things difficult in there with them, then you're going to get cooked on the rebound. So that, and that's kind of what happened at the beginning. You had two points and two turnovers. Uh, to start the game versus 12 points with, in Boston's favor.
1: Yeah, I think what's interesting, so in coaching aspect, at like what Kerr did over the last, was it three or four games, where he started Otto and pulled Looney off the bench. I thought what was interesting there was, um, if you looked, the substitution was then Poole and Looney for Green and Porter often, right? That was, And what he's really doing there, I thought was interesting was, Staggering Draymond and Looney to only have one non-shooter on the floor. I uh, tonight was a little different. We'll get into that in a second. I think in looking at that now with hindsight, I probably just would have benched Draymond, <laughs> but that that clearly was not the way he went. And he won a title. He's one of the best coaches of all time. You know, maybe he's smarter than me. Uh, tonight, Draymond played fine. I guess he what well, didn't quite get the triple double was 12, 12 and eight, but. So you didn't really stagger him the same way. You pulled Otto, and then you really cut minutes away from a guy like a Pool or Gary Payton. They played 18 and 20, respectively. Because Draymond played 42 minutes tonight. He played great. Um, And I think that was kind of unforeseen and made the substitution feel a little bit less important. Um, Looney, though, (laughs) unsung hero of this run, right? I mean, Looney... They've Luna's been on two of the title teams now, and was also on the team in nineteen. That like True. if it was he on it in seventeen because he's on it. In, he's on he it. He was in, drafted
0: the year after we won the championship in twenty fifteen.
1: Okay, so he's on the team, and because they lose in sixteen, he's on the team in seventeen. I don't remember in seventeen anyway. What I'm getting at is they also have him on the team in nineteen, where like injury, otherwise they probably win the whole thing. Anyway, um he's been a part of this. Weirdly, feels like as much as the big three like, like he, he really has been a integral part of they can still run switching defense because like you mentioned earlier he can play on the perimeter um, he's a big rim defender grabs but eats rebounds uh, like he, he's really a big big part of what they do and he's kind of this unsung hero he does dirty work um, what do you see out of Kevon Looney I mean he only he played 22 minutes tonight, didn't score but it didn't feel like he needed to
0: you know he's it's just really nice to watch him because, you know, you, you just sort of look at the the measurables, you know, six foot nine, not the biggest guy, kind of weird looking, you know, just in terms of, you know, being on the court. He's got this weird haircut, you know, big buck teeth. And people are like, oh, who the heck is this guy? Why is he in the Golden State Dynasty? You know, just people don't. He doesn't fit. He doesn't fit. we think of like San Francisco, this sleek, you know, nice looking city and Stephen Curry is this sleek three point sniping, you know, team, but he doesn't really fit that same mold. Kevon Looney is much more um Oakland than than San Francisco here. But, you yes. know, he <laughs> knows how to play with the Splash Brothers and he knows how to, you know, he it's almost like I wonder I I would really love to interview Kevon Looney because I what I ask him is, you know, do you have a look with Clay Thompson and with Stephen Curry before they shoot so you know to get into that little low post and grab the rebound because it's it's almost telepathic, and I and I try to look to see if if his head turns or something. I haven't seen it yet, um, but I, I feel like it's definitely there because there has to be some sort of signal where you're firing. Okay, I'm getting into the post, and I'm going to get this rebound. I you know he's had some incredible re- twenty plus rebound performances going all this whole run. Obviously, he had seven tonight, but in less minutes, and and in some of those other uh, matchups, not necessarily in the finals, but. Um, definitely in the against the Memphis Grizzlies and definitely against the Dallas Mavericks. Um uh, Gavon Looney looked like one of the better bigs on the floor and just in terms of his low post presence and, and just rebounding ability. And he was able to to really hold his own. Uh, I don't know if, if you've noticed this as much, Parker, but for me personally, I, I've noticed the biggest step forward for Gavon Looney's game that I think is going to be really important going forward is just his perimeter ability, you know, it's a very underrated aspect of his game, the, his ability to come out onto the perimeter in order to contest threes or just guard other players. And, you know, if, if he knows that players are going to look at him, you know, because he kind of looks weird. He kind of has this like hunched shoulder look. Um, they're going to be like, Oh, this guy. Yeah. I'm gonna get him switched onto me and I'm gonna cook him. Right. That's not necessarily what happens when you switch him onto the perimeter and you get, you get a one-on-one situation with Looney. Looney tends to hold his own and he did that tonight. And, you know, we we've seen that, that just having a few guys like that, that that really helps when you're trying to win a championship.
1: Yeah, I think what's interesting is generally speaking, if you see if you're a guard in the NBA and you see a seven footer in a t-shirt running at you, you think you can just go buy them, right? And mm-hmm. um that's just not the case. To them. I, I do think that his perimeter defense is part of what made their defense again, I have problems with the Boston offense, but I need to give credit where credits due. The Warriors defense was phenomenal statistically throughout the like on averages throughout the whole season, I guess it had ebbs and flows like everyone does. Um, and then in the playoffs, they ramped it up another notch. I mean, we talk about Tatum and you mentioned the AAU thing, you know, Luka Doncic, not an AAU guy, but of the same generation felt like he was coming up next. And the Warriors defense, the number on him in the Mavs as well, right? After we just saw them dismantle Phoenix. Um, I, if I look at the rest of the Warriors roster, I, I really think that we need to do, like we obviously are going to give uh, Curry his, praise and flowers. I like, can't do that when we talk about the whole big three and the like legacy of this thing. But we do need to pause and give Andrew Wiggins his moment here. Um I honestly like can fully admit that I was wrong because I thought this trade for Wiggins is like kind of this throwaway like they'll ditch the contract somewhere down the line. You know, he'll be holding on while they don't have don't have clay or whatever, but eventually you're going to have to move him for something else. How does this work? And it works because he's the starting forward, starting power forward of sorts, small ball center, whatever you want to call him, on the NBA champions. Um, I do think that people are right when they say like, he doesn't do the things you wanted a number one overall pick to do, but if you'd have picked him fourth or fifth, you'd have no qualms with the way his career's turned out. Right. Um, and, and, you know, kudos to him. He played phenomenal, uh, just he only had six rebounds tonight, which feels like a typo on ESPN's behalf here. Um, but I, I will say that like he had a 17, was a 17 rebound game, a 13 rebound game. Like he dominated the glass. He, he had got out in trans- three
0: blocks. So that rebounding number, maybe that's less. Because yeah. Of the others, others.
1: Maybe that's the impact I'm feeling. He got yeah. on, the, on the break. Uh, he hit mid range jump shots. And then tonight he hit a couple corner threes. He really was the best complimentary player. And, I'd argue, the second best player, at least for the Warriors, in the series. It was tremendous.
0: Well, the thing about the, what makes Andrew Wiggins most valuable isn't necessarily Andrew Wiggins himself, right? It's just sort of the physical profile that he brings, the ability to essentially guard all five positions is what it looks like. And just, you know, you don't really think of him as being the tallest player in the starting lineup, but he is. And he plays that really crucial role for the Warriors where he can play shooting card small forward or power forward um the other thing i think just reputation wise is we do forget that he was asked to play a lot more shooting guard um in minnesota and that's not i I like him a lot more at the three and at the four i don't know what you think parker but it just looks it just feels a lot more natural to be running and to be that second um option i was going back and actually trying to look at Andrew Wiggins' draft stock and sort of his mixtape, and, and why he went number one overall. Because I always, you know, want to, it's, it's an interesting to see how these busts kind of, how they were so hyped up in order to go number one overall. And sort of the way he was pitched to the NBA fan base or the NBA community was very much along the lines of, oh, this guy, he's a six foot eight Kobe, right? He's a six foot eight mid range assassin. And, and yeah. He can hit mid-range pull-ups, but I I put him much more in the maybe even a tier below Clay Thompson in terms of mid-range uh, ability. But you know he has it; it is there. It's part of his bag. It looks great on a mixtape when it goes in. But he he's he's very far from six foot eight Kobe. He's much more. Uh, you know, if Patrick Williams' career turns out right, I would say that would be basically where I would put Wiggins in in terms of that actual value.
1: Yeah, and it what's funny is that it did so. Like he just, I, I I retweeted a tweet from Haley O'Shaughnessy tonight that this would not be the first time Minnesota's botched this kind of thing. Where like, as soon as Kevin Garnett leaves, he goes and wins a title. As soon uh, Kevin Love leaves, as soon as Kevin Love leaves, he goes and wins a title. As soon as Andrew Wiggins leaves, he goes against like like theoretically, this is clearly there's a problem in the institution in Minnesota as well. Um, I I think that his game having the ball in his hands less in the half court setting has only helped him, right? He's only getting touches where it's supposed to be catch and shoot or it's supposed to be catch and dunk. And then he gets the ball in transition and does his athletic thing. I recall him at Kansas when he came out being like the six, whatever, six, eight freak athlete, Um that like, you just can't pass up that kind of an athlete like just like athleticism upside. And frankly, he's kind of developed some nice little tools along the way. Um, that being said, like, you know, obviously the story of the night is Steph Curry, but before we get to Steph Curry, I, I have to throw in, because I want anyone listening to this to correct us if we're wrong on our quick pre-pod independent research of all 60 players drafted in 2014. Wiggins is the second to win a title the first was the Nassis Anta And I think that is correct. I think that is correct. And that's only because the Nasus is the onto Tacumpo brother that got back to Milwaukee. <laughs> like it could have just been just as easily been the other brother in um in some other way. But anyway, shout out Wait, to it wasn't
0: it wasn't. You know why? Uh, Rodney Hood won a championship last year with the Milwaukee Bucks as well. Oh, Hodos on the Bucks. Wait a minute. Yes, yes, he did. Yeah. Hodos on the Bucks. Okay, yeah. there scraps my whole theory. So but they but gonna... they both won at the same time. So essentially. Similar. Essentially. Yeah. Um I'm sorry, I just went back and looked.
1: No, that's fair. What's interesting is that this draft actually had better players, I think, than we remember. In the top ten, you had Wiggins, number one, Jabari Parker, Sands Injury would have been great. Embiid, Gordon, Smart, Randall, all in the top ten. Um Sliding into thirteen, you had Zach Levine, which seems wild that he sl- he would fall down to thirteen. Uh Nurkic was also a, a first round pick. Clint Capello was a first round pick. Um excuse me, Joe Harris in the second round. Obviously, the big pick from this year would have been Nikola Jokic was in the mid second round. Um and, you know, that's because we don't watch a lot of Serbian basketball, I guess. But not a bad draft. And had you just taken again Wiggins in the four or five range of that draft, I think it feels accurate, right? If like Joel Embiid goes first, it's like, okay, like Wiggins is three four. That's fine. Like that, I get that. Um all right. A guy that was not drafted in the top five. Steph Steph went seventh, right? In uh the two thousand nine draft. That sounds right. Um Steph Curry, Finals MVP, another big time put it in the record books kind of performance Uh, 34 points, six of eleven from three at one point. He was six of eight from three. Um, And frankly, it felt like he'd made all eight. Um, Obviously the, the clip where we've alluded to a couple times now, where he's pointing at the ring as he's walking down the floor, like that will be used in the Steph Curry 30, 30 documentaries from here to the end of time. Talk me through the game tonight. Talk me through Steph Curry's game tonight.
0: You know, The Golden State Warriors, you know, their their mantra, I don't think that's really their mantra this year. It's gold-blooded. But before that, it was always strength in numbers. And that strength in numbers kind of disappeared through through these first two quarters where the Warriors were looking for a way to escape with a lead. Obviously, in the second quarter, they kind of started to run away with it a little bit. But it was really all Curry. You said he was 6 for 8. When I was looking at it, that was a little earlier because he was 5 of 6. And just – the, the, the way that he came out on fire is something that you're not used to seeing. Usually Curry's very passive uh, to start the game. He he does that on purpose to try and see if maybe one of his other teammates, uh, namely Clay Thompson, is going to get really hot because instead, if, if that's the case, he won't step in. Instead, he'll feed the ball to other players and, and use his gravity in that way. Uh, but when he does decide to step in, about that three, four-minute mark is when he will kind of shift gears and sort of ramp up and start taking three-pointers. Um, I think he missed his first one, but then made five in a row. I think, I think that was what happened uh, because I, I'm pretty sure I recall him missing the first one. And that's usually how it goes, is he misses the first one or two, and then all of a sudden he gets a few shot attempts. He gets that rhythm down, and then he just starts kind of they, – they just tally up. Um, you know, if we want to talk about a legacy in the, in the 21st century of, of an of NBA player right uh, I think number one is LeBron James uh, in terms of legacy, in terms of all time standing. Um, but number two has to be Stephen Curry. You change the game. You change. I mean, as I say in a Stephen Curry jersey. But if you <laughs> if you change the game, if you if if the game is literally unrecognizable, you know, post 2015 or so. I, I would say that you're the number, you're number two in legacy. I I was, I was going to say it Parker. When we were looking back at that 2014 draft, it was so interesting to look at sort of the players that did and did not work out because one of the most common themes amongst all the players that ended up working out, they all shoot the three besides Joel Embiid. They all shoot the three. And in 2014, we did not know that that was coming at that point, but the game changed. Certain players survived and certain players didn't. And that was just how it went. Um, Andrew Wiggins was one of those players that was able to survive, but the guy who created all of this change was Stephen Curry. Um, He has started the dynasty. We, you know, this might be not the last part. He's 34 years old now, and he was able to put up 34 points um, in a game six in the, on the road in the finals. You know, this might not be the last we see and, and kind of one of the, Really exciting parts of Stephen Curry's game is these other guys around him, Draymond Green and Clay Thompson, they're sort of fading at this point in their careers. They might not really be worth all the money that they're being paid. But hey, we, we signed up to those contracts under the impression that you know we maybe we kind of knew that they would fade out like that. That's kind of how third or fourth contracts work out. But Stephen Curry has not. He's been aging like fine wine, similar to LeBron James. And that sort of thing is very exciting when you see this next young crop crop of warriors coming up. The Moses Moody, the Jonathan Kaminga, the Andrew Wiggins, the James Wiseman. Uh, that we might not we might not be back here next year, but why can't we be back here in two years? Given a little more drafting and a little more development, and maybe one bl- more trade to get the last piece that we need. I mean, th- this is not going to be. I-, I really would be surprised if we stop at four, uh, but obviously hats off to Curry. This was sort of the last piece for him um, winning a finals MVP because after your fourth championship is after three championships, he still was not named as a finals MVP. Um, Now he has it that now sort of the people on Twitter that I combat with daily will have no way of coming back to me. When I say that Stephen Curry is the greatest, I don't, the, 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 the discussion that I think is going to be happening on first take is, you know, one, uh, is Stephen Curry validated? But definitely two is going to be, is Stephen Curry the best point guard of all time? So that's going to be the thing that we got to figure out uh, in these next four or five years as Stephen Curry's career kind of goes down the stretch. Uh, but we're going to be watching closely for right right now. I, I would say a pretty good argument for to go number one or number two. Uh, I, I obviously have not watched Magic Johnson play basketball, so – in in live so I I couldn't attest to that but you know going off of the numbers and chips and titles and accolades I would say number one or number two
1: well and before we get too far into legacy as far as tonight goes I think what was impressive and you alluded to it as well but Steph had a really like just be call spade a spade he had a crappy game five and I don't mean like he deferred and he had hot team I mean he played poorly and got saved by some good teammates in game five, he played phenomenally. In game four, they would have been down three one had he not played phenomenally in game four. I don't mean to like say he's had a bad series and or, or whatever, but he played poorly in game five and clearly came out to start this one. They get down twelve to whatever early, and he's like, "Uh, we're, I'm going to fix this." Like, like, like he just it was very. There was just a shift in the way he was approaching the game. I um, you know, the time old tail where in a secondary break action. You're just looking for Draymond Green to Steph Curry handoff. Like it just in the secondary break, you just can guarantee it's going to happen. Um, it, as soon as he lets it go, you're like, "That's good." Uh, there was just those kind of moments throughout the night tonight that I think just like kind of feel like all of those games throughout his career to this point, where you're like, "Oh, Steph's going to get 30. Steph's going to get 40. Steph's going to get whatever." Um, tonight specifically at those interesting that. I don't have the quarter by quarter breakdown. It didn't feel like there was like a, a rise and fall. It was very consistent, right? Where like in game four, right, the game where like he has the big fourth quarter, he really had a big like four minute stretch to end the fourth quarter, right? And like he didn't, there was no stretch this this in game six tonight. It was just like very consistent. Curry was always there, adding up to thirty four by the end of it. Uh, he's also played forty minutes; he's on the floor as much as he's been in any game thus far. And I, I, again, I, I continue to think that, like, as much as his three pointer is obviously like generational, the the way that if you overplay it, he gets to the rim is also. Like that's the death of a thousand cuts is because the moment you think you stopped the three pointer, he he attacks the cup and does the dipsy doos and flips it without looking at the basket at the time. Um, it, it's really really phenomenal. As far as you get, you mentioned his like longevity in this thing. I think what's fascinating about Curry versus other guys in his stratosphere of top whatever basketball players of all time is his game. Without knowing anything about modern science and modern whatever, his game was always going to age well. Because at at his if he can barely walk, he's Ray Allen, right? Like like at, at the very like minimum, he will always have a spot. At least playing like at forty, he could be a sixth man on NBA team. Like that jump shot doesn't go away like that. And I think the Warriors have an interesting spot. They have this title. They should enjoy this title. Um, they have some roster questions in the next few years, and the deal is Steph Curry's a constant. He'll be making $60 million at some point, but he will be a constant on, on the Warriors. And, um, I don't, I don't really have a flushed out like top 10, 15 all time. Um, I, I do think that it feels like tonight was significant in moving him up said list, wherever you've got him. Um, tonight felt like it was a, like, or the series for sure. But tonight, cause it ends the series was like the kind of night that moves a guy up those things. Um, you said you got him as a top two at least point card of all time. Yes. Um, where is he in regards to position, like position list, like on your whole thing? Do you have a, are you a top? Do you are you a list guy? Do you have a top ten list like you could rattle off? Uh, you have him somewhere in there. Is that because that's not really my bag?
0: I don't know if I have a top. I could probably name players that I would fit in my top ten, but I wouldn't say that Stephen Curry is in my top ten. I, well, after tonight, I would have to reevaluate. I'll, let me tell you that. Before, not. He was not in my top ten solidly. I actually had I, – I did this once, and I had him and Kevin Durant right next to each other. And the reason I did that was purposeful because they're both tied. Those two championships that they won, the, the, two, that Curry won, the, the two that Curry won with KD, were as important for Curry's legacy because it cemented his one championship as not a one-off. It was a dynasty, quote-unquote. And for KD, that was important because those were his first two rings. But th- those two players and their legacies up to this point where Curry has now gone and won a title again as a solo artist with a fully healthy opposing team. Because, you know, that, that one in 2015, I will you know be one of the first to say Kyrie Irving was injured. Kevin Love was injured. It wasn't really a fair fight, but, you know, they still it was still a difficult series to win. Um, but after this, th- this is kind of where Curry does definitely at least get that bump up over Kevin Durant for me, uh, considering especially how he flamed out in the first round of this year of this playoffs. Um, uh, but going forward, you know, we're going to have to start looking at him as maybe he, maybe he takes over where, where r- right under ha- Hakeem is, is maybe where I'll have him. Because for me, Hakeem, I always think of it as, as this way. If you're better than Hakim, Hakeem you are a top 10 NBA player of all time. Uh, But Hakeem's number 11, and he's kind of always been in that solid number 13 to 11 range on most all-time lists. So I always consider him 11th. And if you're better, you're up top in the top 10. If you're worse, then maybe you're a top 15, top 20 type player. I don't know if I have Curry over there yet, but, I, you know. yeah. Also, the other thing going forward, or sorry, maybe 20 years looking back, we might think of Stephen Curry as the god that changed the game and unlocked the three-point ball. So there might also be something there where, you know, after he retires, we we start to kind of move him up the ranks, um, not not posthumously, but post-retirement, I guess. But, yeah. yeah,
1: I think the unfortunate thing is that, and I, I say this as a guy that watches because I coach uh, high school basketball around the country, I, I do think what's interesting is that, like, the three pointer is absolutely here to stay, and is and this is very much a tangential kind of. But there's also not going to be like like the three pointer can be here to stay and be an integral part of how the game is played for the next three decades. That doesn't mean there's going to be another Steph Curry. He does it differently, <laughs> like like and and I guess that that's like shooting will all will continue to be more and more important, but also. Steph Curry off the dribble over a double team from thirty eight feet away. That that just that's one of one. <laughs> like 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 that that also feels like like there the three pointer can live on if Steph Curry's game is still unique. Um, no, I I'm the kind of person that like would probably have seventeen guys in my top ten, and so I I don't know like I don't know what my order of it would be. I do think the Curry like when does he get close to the Tim Duncan level argument is kind of around the corner, right? So he's got four titles, he's got a finals MVP. Um, And frankly, like, like, as you mentioned, and as I, I was trying to say, like he could win another finals at some point, he might not be the finals MVP on that team. We'll see what the team looks like, but he might win another one. And um anyway, Duncan has five titles and three finals MVPs. Um, he didn't win the one MVP in 07. That went to Tony Parker, and then he didn't win the Finals MVP in 2014. That went to Kawhi Leonard, right? Um, but also, that like doesn't feel like that horribly different when you factor in that like Curry has two regular season MVPs, and like like those it, like starts to balance the scales a little bit. Um, definitely,
0: definitely in the all time rankings. The other thing is that uh, the only true point guard. I mean, I guess Magic Johnson obviously we consider him a point guard, but he's six foot nine. Um, the only other true point guard that you could maybe consider for the top 10 would be Oscar Robertson. Uh, almost all the other players in the top 10 are not defensive liabilities. And I feel like because almost because of that fundamentally, Curry being not the best defender, right? You can talk about two-way Wardell, but I I don't know if I necessarily buy into that as much as Bay Area beat reporters would have you believe. Um, but but I, I do think he is a little bit of a disadvantage being 6'2", being – you know, if, if he's not if he's not a minus defender, he's definitely a neutral defender, and that's about all you're gonna get on that end. Um, you know, give him credit for figuring out a way to get to neutral in that way, but um, you know, he, he's basically there. Uh, but going, you know, getting into the top ten that's gonna require a lot of just like one on one. How does he beat this guy? One on one, how does he beat that guy? And being the smaller player, being a point guard, that's gonna be difficult to con- uh, contest with. Um. Some of the other guys that are at the lower end of the top 10. Lower end of the top 10 is like Duncan, Shaquille, Olajuwon, some of the bigger players, just physically yeah. huge players. It's well, difficult.
1: And you naturally have a more impactful role in defense when you're a Giant. I will say that I think, and this, again, I've been blocked by like Warriors World and a number of different people on Twitter. I, I like people think I really hate this team. And frankly, I just am a Rockets fan. But the um, the interesting thing I think about the like step is too small arguments is that seems to really come from like in the history of basketball, comparing him to his peers on these lists of sorts, a six, 280 pound point guard at just a pure point guard perspective. That's bigger than Chris Paul. Like, like that's not, that's not actually that's for a positional look. That's not that small. This too small comparison is like, but he's competing toe to toe with LeBron freaking James. <laughs> like, like yeah. that's where the too small thing is like hit where he fits in the grand scheme of things. He's so much smaller than all of those guys. And that I think has, has some weight because like you articulated the idea that he has to make up for what he lacks from Tim Duncan on the defensive side, he has to make up for that somehow. Um, and, and I think that that, that, that becomes a more fair argument. Um. Steph Curry had the finals. Everyone was saying he couldn't have. Um, I, I think the interesting thing is if you go back and look at people say he couldn't have or didn't have. Because there's an argument to be said that Steph Curry has always been able to do this. He just didn't have to. He had a really good team in the previous three iterations of the Warriors. This one was not great. Um, do you think that there's any difference there between he didn't have or couldn't have had this kind of finals before.
0: It does have to go into a little bit of the roster construction around him. Um, Definitely getting over the hump in 2015. I would say that that was the first year where he could have really done something like this going forward, you know, sort of his touch at the rim. That's always been kind of the part where he's improved. So I would say last year and this year, uh, maybe that broken hand year could have been a championship year, but you know, broken hand didn't have Clay Thompson. Uh, so definitely that these last few years looks like they should have been the window where he was able to rattle off a championship. But really, this was the first year since 2019, where everything's lined up for him in, in a way where he's actually been able to have the enough support, have the floor set so that he can raise the ceiling and be able to, you know, bring home a championship. Before that, it, it was always, you know, the Kelly Oubre's. You had Michael Mulder. You had Juan Toscano Anderson. All of these random players playing for the Warriors. You're just not going to be able to win a championship, especially when you don't have Clay Thompson. I mean, this is the first part of the of this of the uh, of the dynasty since 2019 where you've been able to get Clay Thompson back on the floor, and you know he didn't have a huge effect on the series or in the playoffs in general, but just his presence on the floor, I I feel like that does make a difference.
1: I also, just because you mentioned the name, we should shout out. Juan Toscano Anderson is apparently the first uh, Mexican-American to win an NBA championship. Shout out to Juan Toscano Anderson. Um, I I wouldn't have known that before I saw it pop up on on Twitter. Um, I, I think in looking at, like, past curry arguments that the deal is is, as you mentioned this is kind of the nail in the coffin to those twitter arguments you have a literally you'll have a picture of him with a finals finals mvp trophy and if you are like rectangular enough to think of that as important he's got it so he checks the box um I, i i think it's I'm seeing funny tweets pop up on the side here. Things about Steph, uh, Steph Curry and Steve Kerr. Um, Steve Kerr has won. Steve Kerr has won 33% of the last 27 NBA finals. That seems between obviously being a player and a coach. Um, that seems particularly uh, good. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. Um, any other, we're wrapping up this season. Any last thoughts on this Warrior season before we start looking at what the what comes down the road for them?
0: Definitely at some point it's going to hit me uh, and I'll just get emotional when I finally figure out sort of what the ride has been. It hasn't necessarily set in a hundred percent of the way here. Um, But this, this was definitely a very different Warriors team from, from years past, just in terms of the age and the years on Draymond Green and Klay Thompson. You know, it's easy to forget Draymond Green has been healthy every single year. um, Just, at in every single playoff game, almost every single at least. Um, and even during that year when they had just 15 wins, you know, Draymond Green was playing in that whole game. He was completely active that whole season. Uh, and just, you know, seeing all of that and seeing all of that poorness and, and the sort of the dark days, I mean, people went from hating the Warriors in 2019 Um, you know, ever since Kevin Durant joined them to actually kind of rooting for them in 2020, because they were so bad that people were just like, "Ah, man, you know, it would be nice to see this saddened, you know, old deflated dynasty team actually be able to win a few games again. Uh, but that, that, that is sort of the darkness that we did have to endure. I will have to say, uh, that really wasn't that bad considering that at the end of the tunnel, it was a championship, um, I know there's a lot of Warriors fans. I'm not one of them. That can say that they waited a very long time from, of, um, for, for these days, for these golden years. 2015, we won a championship. The last championship that the Warriors had won was in 1975 with Rick Barry. So, and that was in the ABA-NBA days. So that, that's a little history lesson yeah. for you. That's not <laughs> something that uh, – it, it was a long time. Let's just put it that way. And, and, no. Yeah, it was. Yes.
1: It was a long time. Um, I, I think that, uh, first of all, he's 24 is trending. I'm assuming that's about Jason Tatum. Um, that said on, uh, the Steph Curry and this past season, I have to say that, like, it also feels interesting that they felt like the, as a fan of an opposing team, they felt like the beneficiaries of this giant salary cap spike. In the summer of 2016, where instead of easing the way up, the league and the CBA said, hey, we're going to jump it. And it went up like 18 million to almost 20 million dollars. And they spent the bank of it on a guy named Kevin Durant. And I was like, come on. (laughs) Um, And they just felt like that. And like, clearly, they've always preached that they're organizationally very sound. This, again, feels like a championship that solidifies that as well. Because this was not the team that benefits on some cap spike. Now, I guess like you could connect dots and say, like, well, the trade for this, the signage, But like on the whole, it's been enough years now that the league has leveled back out and they're still sitting where they're sitting. Um, in looking at cap stuff, uh, you've been working and looking at the cap stuff. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about it. Um, they are paying a lot of money to some guys over 30. Uh, Draymond Green is on the books for twenty five million next year. Klay Thompson's on the books for forty million next year. Steph Curry's in the books for forty eight million next year. Um, the question mark is not those guys, though. To me, the question mark is next year is the last year of the Andrew Wiggins contract. He's on the books for thirty three million dollars. Um, I-, I said before. I'll say it again. Andrew Wiggins was the second best at least player on the Warriors, if not second best overall player in the series in the NBA finals. I don't think you can let him just walk away, but also <laughs> you've got, you're just getting a, somewhat of a log jam in the books. And so first of all, talk through how do you see the deal with Andrew Wiggins shaking out currently making 33 million next year, theoretically an unrestricted free agent in the summer of 23 but guys like to have that deal signed before the year starts or else franchises start saying, hey, do we need to trade him so we get something? Because otherwise you could lose him for nothing.
0: Well, it used to be historically, right, the most important positions in the NBA was the center position, right? The, 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 the knock on Michael Jordan when he entered the league was, well, he's not seven feet, so he can't win a championship or carry people to a championship, right? Um, right now, if you were to ask general managers around the league, the most important positions are the one and the three. If you don't have a good one and you don't have a good three, You're not gonna have a great team, and you look at the Warriors, right? They've got an excellent one and an excellent three. Um, I I said, I told you before the podcast. I think Andrew Wiggins, when he is becomes an undrafted or not undrafted, unrestricted free agent in 2023, he'll be a 35 million dollar player because of the positional needs, because of just the length and size, and 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 just the ability to hit the three ball. All of those things culminating. That's gonna be that's gonna warrant thirty five mil because there's not a lot of players that can do what he does in the NBA. Um In terms of how we're gonna actually see that executed, because in twenty twenty, I believe he was actually traded after New Year, so that'd be twenty twenty one. The D-Lo, Andrew Wiggins trade,
1: right, um, right, right.
0: That would not count. I don't. I don't know if I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I don't think that would that counts towards a bird year. So. In, in order to I don't resign sign go into the salary cap. You have to have three bird years. I think yeah. he has right now. This is his second. So next year is going to be his third bird year. So after next year, the Wiggins will be able to, or the Warriors will be able to go into the salary cap or go past the salary cap to be able to re-sign him. But it'll have to become an unrestricted free agent before he does that. So that this this that will be an interesting um, free agency right there.
1: So you're I don't saying know if-, if
0: he'll. I don't know if other, other teams would necessarily want to jump at 35 mil, but if I'm the Warriors, I would. Like That's that's kind of where I go from there. I don't know if other teams would value that at 35 mil, but that's kind of the price that he's going to command. in, I would say.
1: Yeah, so what you're saying is that if you're a Warriors fan, they don't get the extension finished this summer, not to hit the panic button. That could be just the logistics of we're going to wait until July 1st of 2023 to then sign this new contract because that's just the date we have to do it on. It doesn't have to happen this summer in the same way.
0: Yeah. Essentially.
1: Um, I I wonder not that he would leave the Warriors, they just won a championship. Like like he not there's no bad blood. I wonder if um if he would get more money elsewhere. Like if Toronto, he's a Canadian, does Toronto say, Hey, we'll put you with OG Ananobi and we'll give you forty? Right? Like like just something something different. Um what he about
0: publicly he said publicly too that he wants he said publicly about generational wealth, how he wants to create generational wealth for the rest of his family, and he's talked uh, publicly about how he wants either basically as close to a max deal or as much money as he possibly can get. So that, that, to me, indicates not as much loyalty to the Warriors. Obviously, maybe after winning a championship, it's a little bit different now, but when he said that, it was, I don't know if I'm necessarily 100% locked in at Golden State. If they love me and they're paying me, hey, fine, but you know, going forward, I would, I would no, take it, more money. It, it,
1: And I think that, again, a guy that relies so much on athleticism, he is currently 27, so he'll be, what is that, 28 when he's signing this contract. Um, Bluntly, that's probably the last giant contract he'll sign because he doesn't have the game like Steph Curry that will age out forever. Um, That might be the last big contract he signs. I absolutely understand a guy saying, I need to get this money. And frankly, I can't. I can't be critical. I'd like to get paid more money too. Like, like I, I absolutely understand that at a human level. Um, I, I just wonder what they're gonna because on their 2020. So, the year that they'd be resigning him for is the 23, 24 year on the books. They'll have him for whatever you're saying around 35. Clay will be making about 43. Steph will have just broken over 51, almost 52 at that season. The big thing that I think is interesting. Is that I'm assuming Draymond Green will opt into his player option at 275 because I don't imagine that he'll have he'll be then 34. I don't imagine he signs another big contract after 34 where he's making over 20 million a year. And I feel like he'll take every penny of that twenty seven five to make sure he has the 27-5. And that really does kind of cook the books for a second. We both mentioned we think Seth Curry plays beyond the rest of these guys as well. I mean, he's signed currently through the 2025-26 season. I think he plays longer than that. Um, but that that book is looking awfully crowded for 2023-24. Um, we haven't mentioned that's before you pay Kuming, uh, pay Kaminga a second contract or Wiseman a second contract or Pool a second contract. Or any of those guys, Um, and you do have to find money for those guys at some point too. It hits at different times for each one. Um, How do you do? What do you see them doing with the Draymond Green situation as they get towards that point?
0: Ask him for less money. I think would be kind of where you go, or or just. I I think also this has been the the sort of the debate. Between Klay Thompson and Draymond Green for who's the second best Warrior, obviously right now, like we said, Andrew Wiggins is that, and I agree. But before that, it was definitely the Andrew Riggins, or Klay Thompson versus Draymond Green's debate, uh, and I, I would, I personally, I would say that the formula between Draymond Green and Stephen Curry that has worked a lot better than Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry, just because you need that guy who's going to feed Steph Curry. And, uh, they, they play off each other a little bit better. Who's going to age better? Well, frankly, both of them have looked pretty old in, in these past <laughs> few years. So I don't know if, if either of them are going to be worth that amount of money, it, it, are we going to be really cutthroat here or, and offer them each like 10 mil, 15 mil to come back? Um, I don't know. That's, that's going to be a really interesting situation for sure. Um, but if, if I were the Warriors, I wouldn't be looking at Klay at Thompson and Draymond Green going forward. I would really definitely starting basically this offseason, so tomorrow, um, trying to figure out who's going to be the next generation of people that we can put behind Stephen Curry and make this into a championship team. Right, This was kind of the point. Um, obviously, the Spurs won, won five titles and, and we won four um so far but this was kind of the point in sort of the run for for both teams where hey maybe it's Kawhi Leonard maybe it's Tony Parker uh gonna be taking over that dynasty obviously they weren't able to properly transition out of the Tim Duncan era um which you know if you have a superstar and he retires it's pretty difficult to come back from that yeah
1: and the finding on the Spurs this is not a Spurs podcast Uh, the finding the Spurs to me is it was supposed to be Kawhi Leonard and they pissed him off right like yeah. like that was very it could, clear it could
0: very easily happen with jordan Poole, jonathan kaminga or yeah. james wiseman where you could just make them mad and they want to leave and then you're oh shoot right uh, i I've, I've already always kind of told talk about this i think the Warriors front office they've got a very good scouting team clearly they've been able to find a lot of really good pieces and a lot of really great talent i don't know if i kind of buy into this sort of Idea that the Warriors front office is so holier than thou, so much better run, and so ahead of the league. Quite frankly, I think they're dealt a very good hand each year, and they've got owners behind them that have a lot of money that are willing to spend very deeply into the tax. I mean, if you were to ask the owners, right, hey, would you bring all of these players in back if it took max contracts, every single one? I don't know if you'd go for that. But if you're overpaying every single one of these guys, you can because. In, in terms of salary tax rules, you are able to uh, pay well into the tax. There's technically no limit uh, if you're just paying your, um, your 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 players that you've already drafted and players you yourself-
1: drafted. And for folks on listening, the rules that Thomas is alluding to involve players you've drafted, and then luxury tax is it eventually gets up to the point where for every dollar you're paying a player, you then also pay a dollar to the league. The league does. League it business gets to like with
0: three it. or four dollars at some point. It, it gets, yeah, and it, it gets w- really it, it really works high. its way up
1: to where essentially paying Andrew Wiggins thirty five million dollars a year costs Warriors ownership more like a hundred million dollars in a year. Um, that said, as you mentioned, much like the Mark Cubans of the world or other fanatical owners, the Warriors ownership has been like we'll pay it. <laughs> like they and like Silicon
0: Valley money. Uh, yeah, that's just kind of how we are able to do it
1: they 've got the cash they're passionate, and they they they, they want to do it um and and so you know with as much crap as I give the franchise about like moving from Oakland to San Fran and how the Chase Center will never be Oracle and all those kinds of of things, the ownership wants to win, and they'll pay money for it uh It'll be a lot of money
0: <laughs> i I do have to say like i I want to drive this home right? Yes, we have all the money you do have to draft the players in order for this kind of team building thing to work, right? You have to draft. You, you do have to hit on all the draft. Like the idea that we just have way more money than everyone else that we're buying the titles. I, I, you can't say that. I, I, Brian Windhorse had some, some take where he talked about the financial backing that the Warriors had, and how it was sort of a, a competitive advantage uh, around the league. And I, I was just like, you, you can't say that because we drafted the, the guys.
1: But I say the part that, Negates the ownership is the the luxury tax rules apply differently as we're saying to guys you drafted right, so like it wouldn't have applied to Kevin Durant right, but they can pay Steph, Clay, Dre, Pool, Wiggins, not Wiggins, Pool, Wiseman, whomever that they've drafted, they can absolutely do this with. Um, and I think that is a noticeable difference. You do have to draft the guys to do this with them. That that doesn't mean that they don't have the money too, but you have to draft the guys to do this with them. Um I. I think their longevity is an interesting thing to look at, because they've put themselves—and this will be our transition to what will probably be the last segment—but they've put themselves in the same air as the Bulls, as the as the '90s Bulls, or the Spurs from like '99 to '14, or you know the dynasty dynastic Lakers of you know from 2010. 2010, well, well. 2000 2010 Lakers, they win five championships in span of ten years, right? That's very very similar. Um, we Shaq leaves in the middle, so it feels different, but it's very very similar. Um, Lakers Celtics of the eighties, they they're in that category. The deal is to like take the step to where they're closer to like Celtics of the sixties, or I think what the Spurs did across fifteen years is impressive because it's fifteen years. Um, but if you try to get them up into those kind of echelons, or even that the you know the bulls won six in ten years, um in eight years really, I I think that they do need to find some way to like get the money to work out kind of I know I know I think Steph can play till he's forty, but to capitalize on like his game's gonna look a little different at 37, 38, 39, 40 than it does at 34, 35, 36. And can you try and squeeze another one in here in this little, like this chunk of his career? Where do you see it going?
0: I, I think you definitely can. I don't know if it happens next year um, because there, there are also a lot of one-year contracts that kind of made it work, right? Otto Porter Jr. Would be one of those guys I would point to as a one-year contract where it's like, Hey, and then you don't really know what's coming up after that. Uh, same with Jordan pool, right? He, you're going to have to pay him in 2023. So, maybe he takes more money and goes somewhere else. I don't know if he's particularly tied to the Bay area. I know that he has put down roots and enjoys the Bay area uh, because, you know, you know, I actually know uh, Jordan Poole's personal photographer. So he I was nice <laughs> with him. So I, I know that, that he enjoys hanging out in the Bay area, but past that, maybe he would enjoy Los Angeles or, or, or enjoy, you know, another big, big uh, destination. So, the trick now is keeping the band together for as long as you possibly can. Right. And you, you look at, you know, throughout history, my my parents would always, obviously I'm I'm too old or too young to remember all the young rock bands of the seventies, eighties, sixties, that sort of thing. But every single rock band that that came up, right. Where you have a big dynasty, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, they end up breaking up. Well, not the Rolling Stones, but they end up breaking up and, and there's some sort of thing that happens, right. It's just, kind of how these things work, right? If you have a bunch of people together in a room for 10 years or 15 years, at some point, feelings will be hurt or um, feelings that were ignored or put off to the side or or held deep down for maybe three or four years will come to the surface and something will happen that's going to create friction. So the challenge now, from basically now until Steph is 40, is keeping that sort of extra effect to a minimum I think the Warriors have done a good job at mitigating that uh, so far but you know we don't know what's going to happen in the next few years we don't know the sort of sacrifices that some of these guys have made I'm sure Klay Thompson and Draymond Green specifically would be thinking hey what if I was the number one option on on my team when I was in my prime would I have been like Steph would I have been remembered Um, you know I don't know if that would really be the case but that's definitely going to be on their minds at some point so you know, we got to be thinking about that sort of thing as well. The, this, there were a lot of players that sacrificed for Stephen Curry to be able to lift the finals MVP. It was, it's not just a one-guy sort of thing. And I, I understand that he's sort of the set, uh, centerpiece and that he also sacrifices. But, you know, he, he at the end of the day, is the guy with his face on his, on more posters than anyone, than Gary Payton the second or Chris Chioza or, or some of these <laughs> other bench players. So there, there is also that factor that we're going to have to see how they mitigate that
1: it's gonna be interesting to watch happen um i need to shout out the nba draft is just like it like two weeks from tonight um no a week from tonight a yes. week from tonight the nba draft happens and uh sean patton and uh and brad i'm sure will be on it too a bunch of belly of people are running an nba draft show that'll be through much of the same channels so if you're watching this make sure you go watch that as well um, that'll be live throughout the draft. There will be chaos in the draft. Uh, frankly, there's already chaos. My Houston Rockets have already traded Christian Wood for another first round pick. Like, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I don't. We'll do the draft when we do the draft. But make sure you check in and log in and watch that as well. Thomas, I don't know if you'll take a hiatus at all for the off season, but you do a weekly NBA podcast. Tell people where to find you. At.
0: I'm not taking a hiatus. We are the Goated Podcast. Go follow Instagram at The Goated Podcast or follow me on Twitter at Thomas Goat NBA and it's right there. Also, I will be on that belly up show for the NBA draft. Me, Brad and Sean have worked really hard to put it together. So we're excited to present sort of like the belly up NBA draft show as they do a a Bleacher Report NBA draft show, a Sports Illustrated NBA draft show. We're the belly up NBA draft show and we're excited to present it to you guys.
1: It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, a, a couple cool guests coming through to, um, including like international basketball player and, and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's a fun, fun show. Make sure you go check that out. Uh, my name is Parker Ainsworth. My handle is on the screens at painsworth 512. Evan Sports podcast comes out a few times a week. I'm a teacher and it's Evan Sports grading sports. Uh, I will say that the summertime as a teacher means that things come out a little bit random days, uh, but during the school year, we're usually two to three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and often Friday. Thank y'all so much for tuning in tonight. Congratulations again for the fourth time in eight years to the Golden State Warriors uh, for another NBA championship. Shout out Steph Curry for finally getting that elusive finals MVP and to purple shoes everywhere because I think the unsung hero <laughs> is the purple sneakers that Steph Curry apparently was undefeated in in the NBA playoffs. So go get a pair of whatever the Steph Curry, what, I don't know what number they're on now, but the underarm That's basketball his, shoes. This is
0: his yeah. new brand. Yeah,
1: the curry. curry. Uh, Anyway, thank you for logging in tonight. Take care, everybody. See ya.